A couple weeks ago, I told Patrick we should see what it's like to deliver food on a third-party delivery app. So he signed up for DoorDash. Little did I know that I was signing up for constant text messages from the company telling me that my neighborhood was busy and that if I went out and delivered some food, I'd get a few extra dollars thrown my way. So on a recent Friday night, we took the advice of those text messages and we went out to see what the dinner rush was like. Hello. Can I, are we good with the passenger seat? Yeah, that's fine. How do you feel? All right. Um, are you ready to dash? Ready to dash. Let's open up the app. I don't really know what happens after I press dash now. So <laughs> Your life will forever change. Dash now. Allow activity. We use this data to... Oh, here we go. Ooh. We got one. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're going to... Let's accept. We're going to go... From El Volo. Oh, we're, I think we're going to two stops. Two stops? Except. I'm confused. Pick up from 1790 Columbia Road Northwest. I think, um, I don't really know where I should park. Do I want to, am I going to park in the bike lane? Is on the right. As a biker, how do you feel? Horrible. See oh. you soon. Sorry, I forgot to turn my parking brake on. Your hazards are on? Thank you. They are now. Oh God, see you in a second. <laughs> oh my God, don't die. Hello. Hey, I'm picking up a order. Good night. Uh, Raquel. Lasagna. Papa Dell, house multiple. Ooh. Great, all right, thank you very much. I think if I, I think if I made fifteen dollars in this hour, like in an hour doing this, like it would be like okay, fine. I hope that we get a good tip. Is it hot or am I just really stressed out? <laughs> I feel very hot right now. I'm trying to not freak out because you're, I think, doing the higher stress job of the two of us right now. So, I'm trying to keep it cool. Shirt and next one. Turn right onto Somerset Place Northwest. All right. We are two minutes away. Is it this Holding street? on to the food. <laughs> hey. Is this yes. Uh, someone ordered it for us. So oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, you can just leave it. All right. Yep. Have a good one. All right. Delivery complete. <laughs> so. DoorDash pay, base pay $3.25, peak pay $5, tip $0. What? This is Dish City. I'm Ruth Tam. And I'm Patrick Fort. We tell stories about food to better understand the places we live. This season is all about food delivery. Working as a food delivery driver is a hard job. That's not a secret. But now, advocates across the country are trying to make it better. On this episode, third-party platforms need delivery workers to keep their business running. And delivery workers need those very same platforms for their income. So it feels like it should be a win-win. So how did this relationship begin feeling so toxic? Before we could embark on our door dashing extravaganza, I had to get approved as a dasher. And it took me like five minutes to sign up. 
Okay, so I've been tasked with signing up for DoorDash. Uh, it's asking for my zip code. Oh, and my email address, all right. And my phone number. All right, they're doing a background check on me. I kind of can't believe how fast this process was. Like, I remember messaging you when we were planning this whole thing, and I was like, maybe we should budget a week for you to get approved. And you were like, I'll be good to go in an hour. Right, like a one-hour background check, and then I could add my bank account. It was easy as that. It almost seems like too easy. Like, I'm not sure I can remember a job where I applied, and then an hour later I was automatically approved and ready to work. Yeah, I, I don't think I've experienced anything like this either, but I think that for third-party delivery apps and maybe any company that relies on gig workers, the quick sign-up is one of the main selling points. Like, if you really need a job or you just want to make some extra cash, hopping on one of these apps is a very easy solution. That's why so many people sign up. I actually went online and looked to see how these jobs are advertised. And on Craigslist, these third-party delivery platforms post, like, every hour. Okay, here's one. Deliver with DoorDash and earn up to $17 an hour. But there is an asterisk on that $17 an hour part. The fine print says, earnings vary based on pay per delivery and number of deliveries completed per hour. If you don't read the fine print, a job like this stands out from a lot of the other options I'm seeing in the food, beverage, hospitality section on Craigslist because those other jobs are looking for servers and they're advertising a far lower wage. In D.C., a lot of these jobs offer a 750 hourly wage, though I think most people generally assume that you're going to make more than that through tips. Ah, yes, the elusive tip. What other selling points do you see on these gig work posts, like according to the DoorDash one? Well, they are really promoting keeping 100% of your tips as a selling point, which um, I thought that was the point of tips when you were working alone, but okay. Um, but there's also uh, highly flexible. Be your own boss. Work when you want, wherever you want. We've heard these lines before from a delivery driver named Patricia Stamper. I can literally do it when I feel like it and when I need to. That was the one thing that I've appreciated about DoorDash. Patricia lives in D.C., and she got into dashing in 2017 to make some extra money. With two kids at home and another job at D.C. public schools, she was already pretty busy. But she knew she was signing up for a difficult job. She stayed focused on the paycheck and tried to keep her expectations low. No one shot me, and I haven't been beat up. But <laughs> as long as I'm making home, nobody done scratched my car or hit me. I guess I'm treated fairly. Her expectations may have been low, but as long as Patricia could put in a couple hours and earn a few extra bucks, she would stick with it. I value my time once I became a mom again, and I wanted to be home. So by doing DoorDash and doing other things, it allowed for me to free up my time and do five or six orders or say, oh, I'm going to do six orders or I'm going to make $100, you know, make whatever goal and go do that. Um, the goal was to always make at least an extra $1,000 every month. A lot of people who work as food couriers are like Patricia. They're balancing gig work with their personal and other professional lives, and they've got similar goals. At this point, there are literally millions of people who are doing this. We asked Patricia how much work she had to do to meet her monthly goal of $1,000. 
how long would it take you to, to do that? Like in terms of hours? <sighs> Ooh, I would say about 25 to 30 hours to make that, to be fun. To make it thousand. If not more, depending on the month. Patricia learned that there are tons of costs drivers have to account for that make the pay DoorDash promotes smaller than it actually is. There's gas, for example. It takes anywhere from 3 to $6 an hour off her paycheck, depending on how far apart her deliveries are. She gets her oil changed pretty frequently, too, every three or four months. She has to pay for auto insurance, car washes, and cleanings, and she's racked up more than $500 in parking tickets. DoorDash provides masks, but Patricia got her own. So when you see a gig-based app advertising a wage up to $17 an hour, it's not taking into account the money you have to put into the job. The phrase up to is doing some heavy lifting here. Exactly. And we haven't even factored in setting aside money for taxes yet. And let me tell you, as a person who spent a big amount of time as a freelancer, the taxes can suck if you are not prepared. Yeah. A lot of financial advisors suggest setting aside 20 to 30 percent of your income for federal and state taxes. So Patricia is trying to make $1,000 a month, but with all these expenses, she winds up pocketing way less than that. On top of it all, it's just hard to balance gig work with parenting and another job. So her expectations have lowered over time, and she's actually cut them in half. I'm gonna be honest, there's a lot of months I never reach that goal. I'm just happy with $500. Wait, so how much did we make in our evening of dashing? Okay, in two hours, we made $40.75. 20 bucks an hour. That's not that bad. Okay, but we, we just did this whole bit about expenses. Did you, did you forget that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how much do I owe you for gas? <laughs> okay, let's, let's... You have a Prius. I, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> okay, let's break down your DoorDash pay stub, starting with our first delivery. Okay, so our, our base pay for our first delivery was $3.25. Okay, so based on our conversations with Patricia and other drivers, we know that this base pay, the $3 that we got for this ride, it can range anywhere from 2 to $10, depending on how far you have to drive or like what the weather is outside. Right. And when we went out, it was a nice day out. It was like 70 degrees, but it was Friday. So there was a lot of traffic on the app. A lot of people were ordering food. Yeah. The roads were crowded and restaurants were busy. And when it gets like this and demand is high, platforms tend to run these promotions and you can sometimes get double your base pay. Did we get any of those? Yeah, so the peak pay bonus that we got was $5 for this order. So Mm. it was, you know, almost twice as much as the base pay for that delivery. Okay, what else factored into your overall pay? Well, there's tips. That's the last thing that gets added to your pay. We didn't get tipped on that first order, but when I look at all the orders we did that night, tips made up nearly half of the total that we made. Okay, so if all these parts, base pay, peak bonuses, and tips were different shares of the pie, tips would be the biggest chunk of the paycheck? Exactly. Because drivers work for a low base wage and rely largely on tips, driving for a delivery app sounds a little bit like working as a restaurant server. 
Only delivery drivers aren't actually paid the same way as people who work in restaurants, right? Like if a server doesn't at least make the minimum wage with the hourly wage that the restaurant offers plus tips, the restaurant has to make up that difference. And that doesn't happen on delivery platforms because drivers are independent contractors. So when the New York Times reported in 2019 that DoorDash was using tips from customers to make up drivers' guaranteed base pay, people were mad. A lot of people thought that DoorDash was taking drivers' tips. But the New York Times reported that instead, DoorDash was using customer tips to make up the base pay that they promised drivers. It wasn't going on top of the base pay that they had initially promised. It turns out this was something that other gig labor companies like Instacart were doing too. And it got the attention of some powerful people. We wanted to, you know, frankly, vindicate that common definition of what a tip is. This is D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine. The tip is always meant um, in common form an additional amount of money that the consumer decides to gift to a worker because the work was superlative. DoorDash changed their tipping policy in September of 2019, but Attorney General Racine decided to sue the company for their previous practices. The lawsuit was filed in November of that year and accused the company of violating D.C.'s consumer protection laws, saying the practice was misleading to customers. DoorDash is being sued by D.C.'s attorney general over allegedly deceiving customers with the controversial tipping policy. The complaint is drawing renewed... When people ordered food on DoorDash, the lawsuit said, they assumed their tips were being paid on top of what the company was already paying their drivers. DoorDash said at the time and still does, that they were spreading customers' tips across different orders to smooth out the tip average for drivers. They also said that this is what they thought drivers wanted. They deceived consumers um, and certainly deceived the drivers. And to be, you know, quite honest, that's why uh, they immediately settled the case. DoorDash denies the allegations, and they settled in late 2020. The company paid $750,000 in legal fees to the district and paid out $1.5 million to drivers. In an email to us, DoorDash said they are, quote, pleased the issue is behind us. Patricia Stamper received about $800 from the settlement. She got her check in December 2020, a year after the lawsuit was filed. Like, wow, I could have really used that. When I was pregnant, you know, back then, you know, I could have really used that money. But, you know, it's cool. Better late than ever. DoorDash has long framed their past tipping policy as something that was simply confusing to customers and drivers. And they also insist that drivers always received 100% of their tips, which is technically true. But they were kind of playing fast and loose with people's idea of what a tip is. For what it's worth, DoorDash never lied about how drivers were getting paid. They even explained their whole tip redistribution policy in Attorney General Racine's lawsuit. But it's unclear if drivers and customers really knew where tips were going. And given that society has a very specific idea of what a tip is, it just feels like a crappy thing to do, at least to me. This got me thinking. I've tried to scale back on ordering delivery during the pandemic, and this is mostly because I didn't want drivers to have to put themselves at additional risk when I was fine picking up food myself. 
but it's also because I worry about pay. A couple dollars from me doesn't change the fact that companies are hooking drivers on a $17 an hour wage, but offloading the expenses onto drivers. With all these issues floating around, I wanted to know why delivery drivers were still driving. If I walk away, then that leaves a number of people left to be exploited. Gig workers are still hustling, but fighting back at the same time. After the break, gig workers of the world unite. Earning easy money is a huge selling point for working on these third-party delivery apps. It's what got Patricia on board. She wanted to earn some money for her family. And that's what drove Alex Bacon, a stay-at-home dad in Seattle, to sign up for DoorDash 2. I had been a stay-at-home dad for a while before I was doing this, and um, was just sort of eager to get back out there and start doing something. As Alex's kid got older, he wanted to put him into daycare. So he wanted to earn at least double his childcare costs. And this seemed doable at the beginning. When Alex first started driving for DoorDash, he got a bunch of really high-paying orders, kind of like the ones that we first got when we drove. But once he started regularly signing into the app, he noticed the base pays were dropping. The bonuses were less frequent. And once he was a regular driver, a lot of his pay was reliant on tips. After a while, I started getting such crummy orders and like so few of them, I had to start driving for Uber Eats like simultaneously so that just, you know, just so that I can make a living. Alex says that now it barely feels like it's worth doing the job. I could probably make more money recruiting people to drive for DoorDash than actually driving for them. I mean, lately the offer has been to me as a driver $700 if I recruit another driver who makes 250 deliveries. They also get like 250 or $300, you know. And I'm like, I don't really want to recruit more drivers to be honest. I mean, I want everyone to have a job, but I'm like, you know. <laughs> because working as a delivery driver had quickly become unsustainable, Alex turned to activism, and he's been organizing with a group called the Pay Up Campaign. And because the pandemic redefined how we think of essential workers, the political climate made it possible for Alex and his fellow organizers to achieve historic wins for delivery drivers. Here in Seattle, we're, you know, we're the only city where we have a $2.50 hazard pay ordinance, you know, that the companies have to pay on each delivery um, that has put like millions of dollars in the hands of delivery drivers. And um, I think we're the only city in the country that has anything like that right now. And we also have paid sick leave, um, which, which we won um, and have been having to do a lot of work to like and make sure the companies actually follow through on it. <laughs> but, um, but that stuff is all because of the pandemic. So it's like could, could expire, you know, at any time um, by action of the city council. So we're trying to kind of think about like what's next. Alex and his co-workers want independent contractors to be eligible for a minimum wage. Earlier, we told you about the tipping lawsuit in D.C. Even though that case put money in the pockets of drivers like Patricia, that was money she felt she was owed. So the lawsuit was sort of a retroactive punishment. In Seattle, Alex isn't fighting for these food delivery companies to be punished. He's aiming for bigger systemic improvements. A minimum wage would make drivers less dependent on tips for their pay, and more transparency about pay would make drivers free to actually choose which deliveries to accept and which to decline. We need transparency in all of this, too. Um, on DoorDash, you know, uh, 
when you all did your brief door dashing, you probably noticed that it doesn't actually show you how much you're going to make for the job before you accept the order. It gives you like a minimum number, right? $6.50, $8.50. But after you make the delivery, it might shoot up to be $13 or $15 or, you know, they, 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 they hide the tips from drivers so that drivers will take low orders, hoping that there's like this hidden tip on it afterwards. When Alex says he wants more transparency, what does he mean by that? Well, when an order pops up on one of these apps, it might only give you some information about it. Although many people tip before they get their food, DoorDash won't share the prepaid tip in advance, and some drivers think this is a way of incentivizing them to take on lower paying orders because there's this potential of a high tip at the end. Uber Eats, on the other hand, will tell you the breakdown of the tip and the base pay ahead of time, but if you pick up multiple orders at once, they may not tell you the end destination of the second order. So basically, Alex has had to become an expert on what these apps do or do not tell him in the name of earning money. All these platforms, what they share, it's slightly different. So they all share some things and they hide other things, right? So none of them are sort of like pallbearers for transparency, you know? Alex and the PayUp campaign have been successful during the pandemic. The temporary hazard pay policy he rallied for passed the city council unanimously. The political climate in Seattle has led to a lot of worker-friendly policies. The city has fairly strong minimum wage laws. Even rideshare drivers are eligible for the $16.69 minimum wage. But gig workers on food delivery platforms do not qualify for this. Even though Alex and his fellow organizers anticipate challenges, Seattle's political climate is still way more progressive compared to other parts of the country. If you live in a place like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, for example, that fight is going to look pretty different. I just basically have to turn on the app and hope and pray that a customer tips at this point, because without tips, this, this job is not, um, is not sustainable. This is Willie Solis. He lives in Denton, Texas. It's a city in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. And he works full-time, delivering for every app out there. When he first started driving for apps like DoorDash, Willie budgeted $11,000 and bought a car. And to be honest, you know, that didn't seem like a big ask for me at the time um, because of the potential that I thought I was going to make a good amount of money. And at the beginning, money was good. But like Alex in Seattle, Willie's flood of high-paying orders slowed to a trickle. That's when you find that you've been duped. The first 10 orders that, that, that I got, I mean, they were really good orders. And like they were fast and furious. I was getting them quick. Now I log on, it's like you're waiting for, you're, it's like crickets. Um, and that's why I work on so many apps, because you have to. You have to multi-app. And as you continue this work, um, you realize that that's the only way you can survive. Willie's describing something we heard from a couple of drivers. They chose to drive because they thought it would pay well. And in the beginning, it did. But after a while, drivers told us the number of high-paying orders started to decrease. Apps would offer promotions like do 20 deliveries over the weekend and earn an extra $300, which encourages drivers to get out there, just like the text Patrick was getting. Ultimately, Willie says delivery workers can wind up feeling like they're chasing the high when they first started driving. I would akin this to or compare this to like when people go gambling um, and they hit it big one time, they will tell you about that one time they hit it big, but they won't tell you about all the losses. The downgrading of delivery jobs that drivers have told us about, it's hard to verify whether this is something built into the algorithms of third-party delivery platforms 
or if it has something to do with changes in their local delivery market. For example, it's possible that there were fewer drivers working when Willie first started, and now more drivers have showed up and diluted the market. Because all the drivers we interviewed drive for DoorDash, and because we drove for DoorDash, we asked the company if they do give preferential treatment to new drivers. DoorDash says no, they do not, but they do have something called the Top Dasher program, which uh, prioritizes giving orders to eligible dashers during slower hours. And sometimes, DoorDash says, they give new dashers a 14-day trial period of this Top Dasher status. We wondered why Willie kept working on the platform. If it was so bad and he felt like he had been betrayed, he could just stop. I would say that's absolutely true. But if I walk away, then that leaves a number of people left to be exploited. Um, and that's the continuing um, conundrum that it, if good people don't rise up and speak up and say, hey, I was had, because that's the truth. I was had. Um, and that was from the onset. Willie works with a group called Gig Workers Collective. They're working to raise awareness about labor issues, not only among gig workers, but for consumers as well. While his advocacy work has yielded fewer policy wins than Alex's, Willie is still fighting. And the big thing that he wants is more transparency. DoorDash told us, quote, They fully support ensuring all Dashers have information necessary to make informed decisions about accepting delivery requests and empowering them to decline any delivery. But Willie says that what DoorDash and other apps provide is simply not enough. Across all platforms, he wants a clearer breakdown of how far orders will make him drive, how much the base wage is, and how much the customer has tipped in advance. They don't give us the, the information, the data. They, they basically keep us um, uh, away from our own data uh, and don't allow us to analyze it in a way that would allow us to see, are we really being profitable? Are we really making money? Where, what do we need to change? The problem Willie is describing is one we felt like we experienced while dashing too. We thought we could just kind of drive around and do what we wanted, but that wasn't really the case. I'm outside my delivery zone. And now, oh, this is interesting. What do you mean outside your delivery zone? So it's only, oh, I think it's limiting where I'm allowed to go right now. Why? It must be like a supply demand. Supply demand. So like we're like... We're not downtown at all. It's like almost entirely residential. There's not a lot of restaurants around here. And it says you're outside of your delivery zone. Go back to increase your chances of finding orders. So I guess we're going to go downtown. After we had dropped off an order in a residential area, the app was telling us to drive to a busier part of the city in order to keep working. I guess it made sense. If there weren't any places to get food from up in my neighborhood, then I guess we'd have to drive to where the orders were. In that way, it's kind of like commuting. You're not paid for the time it takes you to get to work. But when we were driving to the other end of the city, there was no guarantee of a job at the other end of the trip. So imagine you're doing this for a regular gig. If you have a bad day driving with low-paying delivery orders and bad tips, you just spent hours of your day and your own money driving around the city for nothing. You might even lose money. In our last episode, we talked about how food delivery apps are not really selling food. They're providing logistics. That's really their product. But no matter how much technology we develop, at this point, for most orders, a real person is still delivering your food. But in the age of contactless delivery, 
you could almost be forgiven for forgetting this. We're seeing like a, a mystification of not just like how food is made, but how it gets to your doorstep. Aaron Shapiro is an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He researches technology and how it changes cities. And a few years ago, he drove for Caviar, a high-end food delivery platform that's now owned by DoorDash. We don't understand what the commodity is, or we're, we're having a hard time understanding what the commodity is. We think the commodity is the grilled cheese sandwich. It's not. The commodity is the fulfillment of the delivery of the grilled cheese sandwich to your house. I think you said in the last episode, Ruth, that going to a restaurant means that you see more of the process, the cooking and the waiting, the tables and the whole experience of eating and being served. But when you order delivery, that process is obscured. And that, Aaron says, is causing us to devalue not only food, but also the people who bring us our food. I know it sounds dumb, but like think of them as people, not an extension of the platform. Aaron says he tries to avoid using gig work platforms. He says they're exploitative, which is kind of how I feel. So Aaron offered a solution. Like if you find an Uber driver you like, for example, work with them outside the app or maybe tip in cash. Although delivery drivers we talked to were split on whether or not waiting around for cash was better than getting tipped in the app and moving quickly to their next order. Ultimately, Aaron said it really shouldn't be up to customers to fix all these problems. I do think that there are like ethical consumption guidelines that we should all kind of come to terms with ourselves. But I don't think it's fair to ask uh, individuals to try to solve these problems. These are policy problems. These are regulation problems. Um, And intervention needs to happen at a much larger scale than just what we can affect as individuals ordering dinner. The fact that so much of this delivery driver activism happened during a time when so many people were unable to eat at local restaurants says something. The people who work on these platforms have been out there every day putting themselves at risk so we can do silly stuff like order oysters and convince Ruth that delivery french fries can be good. Here's Patricia Stamper again, the DoorDash driver here in D.C. COVID has changed the market for delivery apps and drivers. Now, like, everything is delivered. It's changed the value of it. They're like, oh, DoorDash, America's Kitchen. Yeah, I'm like, you know, America needs to give me my money for this order and pay me (laughs) equitably to deliver this food. Just because it's really hard to generate a living wage driving for these apps doesn't mean that the work is without value for drivers. Sometimes you just want to be busy, get out there and make a little cash, even if it's less than you might think after all the expenses and taxes. Plus, the whole be your own boss thing, I totally get the appeal of that. I have my own side gigs. In the normal times, I referee ice hockey. I work as much as I want. I know how much I'll be paid, and I can choose the rinks I go to and when. But there are also things I have to pay for up front, like ice skates. But I know that in my little world, I am actually my own boss. While we were dashing, Patrick told me that running deliveries was actually kind of exciting. He said it took him back to the first job he had here in D.C. at a donut shop. They took orders from delivery apps. If you have, like, done a food service job before, you know there's, like, this unique type of suckiness that it has Mm -hmm. that like can be kind of fun and that's how I feel doing this like it's like really like kind of adrenaline based and you're just like go 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 
but it's also really stressful and like you have like some sense of agency and I feel like God I don't know what would happen right like if some something went wrong right like I know that I would be the person getting the short end of the stick you know yeah, like, I think one thing I'm thinking about is that you're saying, you know, we had a relatively smooth experience. Like, the, all the food was ready when you went to each one of the establishments. Um, and everyone was pleasant uh, when you interacted with them. Uh, one person didn't tip, but two other people tipped, I think, more than what's probably the average. You got, like, what, a $7 tip? An $8 and a $10? tip and a $10 tip, $8 tip and a $10 tip? Like, that sounds all, like, well and good. And it, like, went really smoothly for us, but, like, if the food isn't ready when you get there, if something happens on the road, there's an accident, there's Mm -hmm. traffic, like, something happens with your car, you need to go to the bathroom, you're hungry, like, whatever it is, or if someone, if, like, if there's any, like, little hiccup in any stage of the process, like, that delicate balance is interrupted, and, like you said, like, you're the one that gets blamed for it. The difference for me between the suckiness of driving for a delivery app and the suckiness of a restaurant job was this. If Ruth hadn't been with me, I would have been totally isolated. It's a lonely job with no shared experience or goal, only the kind of desperate hustle to make money. We were on the road, only accountable to ourselves, but really, only accountable to the app. So on our season finale, can we make this system better? We explore how a small town made their own food delivery company. Jokingly, we used to say, if we can transport a senior, we can transport a pizza. I'm not going to lie. It was a little nerve-wracking the first couple nights. (laughs) That's next time on Dish City. This episode of Dish City was produced by me, Patrick Fort. And me, Ruth Tam. Our managing producer is Ponzi Rutch. And Steve Lack mixed this show. Mana Kashfi is WAMU's chief content officer and oversees everything we make here. If you loved this episode, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work by leaving us a tip at wamu.org slash support Dish City. Any amount counts. Thanks so much. You can email us your questions and stories about delivery. Our email is dishcity at wamu.org. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at dishcity. See you next time. See ya.